Ooh, a step of the... All right, so this week we are calling this Another Round. And the reason is, so I did this series a while back called The Days of Noah. You probably listened to it. Um, there were like three messages. And the whole premise of that series was that Jesus said, you know, the end is going to be like the days of Noah. And he proceeded to talk about, you know, what was going to happen in the days of Noah and, or what was happening, what was going to happen in the end times that was very similar to the days of Noah. He didn't go into the full detail. Well, the reason I did that series was to to understand a little bit further about the days of Noah. So, you know, when it came to end time stuff, and I have such a heart for end times. Um, when it came to end time stuff, though, I I didn't accept what was out there as truth, and and I had a hard time reconciling it because it seems like if you're not careful, you separate the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Bible when really it's just one story. And and so the doctrines and beliefs that are out there, when you don't get the full story, it's easy to believe things that aren't true. And so my prayer was this, you know, if it is true, if if all the things that are being taught out there are true, now, and mind you, there are some different theories out there, um, different avenues to believe in what's going to happen, how it's going to look, and all those things, then then if it's all true, then then I pray that you settle it in my heart, Lord. But if not, I want to know the truth. Because here's the deal. When it came to the first coming of Jesus, when Jesus came to this earth as Messiah, the people of that time didn't recognize him. You know, many of the people didn't recognize him, rather, because they were so indoctrinated with what they thought it was going to look like that they missed the boat. And my whole point of the days of Noah is I don't want to miss the boat. If it's going to be like the days of Noah, then I want to know what the days of Noah are like. So what when I prayed about all this stuff in times, and this was years ago, by the way, when I prayed about all this stuff in end times, I mean, it took me years of praying, but the Lord finally revealed to me, look, if you want to understand the end, you're going to have to understand the beginning. So you're going to have to go back to the very beginning, understand the why from the very beginning and move forward in that direction. And so that's what I sought to do. And so that was the whole premise for the Days of Noah series. Well, I got three messages done, and I thought I was done, right? So I, I moved on to other things. Well, now, um, since then, this you know, there's been a lot of things and current events that have been going on. And, I've, and not that I myself have wanted to come back to it, but people have started asking questions like, well, what are your thoughts on this, and, and what do you believe about this, and so on and so forth. I mean, because there's so much stuff out there that you can – you know, and you can be again deceived by things that that are promoted. You can be, be deceived by propaganda. You can be deceived by media, things that are going on in the media, things that they say. You can be deceived by, you know, biased opinions and things like that. And everybody can make their opinion sound great to you, and so you can think, well. You, you can get on bandwagons and soapboxes and, and whatever else. So why? What do I've been asked, what is my belief in this whole thing? Well, for me, again, it was, you have to go back to the beginning. If you're going to understand this story, if you're going to understand the root of the problem, then you have to go back to the beginning. That's where it lies. You want to you want to look at any problem that's going on whatsoever. You got to go back to its root and you got to see what is happening. 
So uh, that's a free thought to you and an application for your own life. You know, if, if you have problems going on in your own life, trials and tribulations, and you want to know why, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to understand what's at the root of the problem. So that's what this was all about. And then when it came to it, it brings us back to, once again, the days of Noah. So all that to say that I called this another round because it's another round of understanding, going back to the days of Noah and understanding the why. And so there's this word that I want to bring forth. In Arabic, it means zeal. And in Hebrew, it means violence. Um, In context, if you go to Genesis, and we'll go to the sixth chapter, which is, again, is that's the the thing of Noah. Um, And let me get there. And and it starts with verse 11. Um, Verse 11 says, it talks about how the violence was over the whole earth. And I'm trying to get there real quick as I'm talking to you. So, Bear with me, I'm a guy, I can't do more than one thing at a time. Okay, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. This is verse 11. It says, And the earth was filled with violence. And that word violence translates to this word that I'm going to tell you about in just a minute. Uh, Again, in Arabic means zeal. So if, if we were Arabic, we would say, Now the whole earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with zeal. Uh, But God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence, this word, because of them. And and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark. And he goes on to talk about how the ark is to be made and what's to come. Now, mind you, I want you to understand this. When God saw that there was violence over the earth, over the whole earth, that's when he made he said that I, he was going to pass judgment. So the earth had become corrupt, and there was violence. There was this word. Well, what is that word? All right, let's talk about Abraham for a minute. So Abraham was this guy who God called him out of his land in Babylon. And he says, you know, I want to take you into this land that I have promised you. Well, it's the land of Canaan. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, or if you haven't listened to other things that I've put out there on on um, YouTube or whatever, then you might you might be thinking, well, it's somebody else's land, so why is God going to give him this land? It, it goes back to the the days of Noah, once again. So Noah, when they got off the ark, they had he had three sons, uh, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their wives, and then whatever would be their descendants, right? So they got off the, the ark, and they started to make a life for themselves. Noah had made a vineyard, and he planted a vineyard in... He took grapes from that vineyard and made wine, so he enjoyed wine. And one night he got drunk, and he laid naked in his tent. Well, Ham went in and saw his nakedness, and he went out and told Shem and Japheth about it, who Shem and Japheth 
took a cover. They walked in the tent backwards so as not to see their father naked, and they covered him up. Now, when Noah came to from his alcohol-induced sleep, he realized what had happened, and he actually cursed Canaan. And he told Canaan that Canaan would be a servant of Shem. In the tents of Shem, Canaan would be a servant. Um, So when it came to drawing lots for the land, you had Ham who took on much of northern Africa, so Egypt, Ethiopia, the Horn of Africa, all that stuff that we know. Uh, and then Shem was supposed to get all of the Arabian Peninsula, which was what we know as Saudi Arabia, land of Israel, uh, Sinai Peninsula, all that. Japheth was to get pretty much the rest. Uh, and the land that was north, especially. So Asia Minor, um, China, you know, Russia, Europe, all that stuff. All that went to Japheth and his... Um, descendants. So Gomer and and Togomar and all of that. Anyway, or Togarma, however you say that. Um, so everything that we know of today that's up north, that's not quote-unquote Middle East, that's what we, we recognize as Japheth's land. Well, Canaan, who was not supposed to get land, took land for himself. And that land was as we know it today, was land of Israel land. So the land of Canaan was what it became known as in those days. And so God calls Abraham, who was then called Abram, to get up out of his land in Babylon. So he was from a town called Ur, U-R. You can read about that one. And so he, his wife, and his nephew Lot, who wasn't, I don't know that nephew was supposed to go with him, by the way, uh, but he called Abraham out and told him that he was going to take him to the land of promise, the land, the promised land. And it was the land of Canaan. Abraham was 75 years old when that happened. So think about that for a minute. He's 75 years old when all this happens. He gets to the land of Canaan, but there's more to this whole promise. So, because if you're Abraham and you're thinking, I'm 75 years old, you know, you're promising me this land. My life isn't going to last all that long. In fact, God already told Noah, my spirit won't strive with man for more than 120 years. So if you're Abraham, you're going, look, I don't have any children. Uh, I don't, you're going to give me this land. Well, that's great. But, and he takes the promise a step further and he says, I'm going to bear you. You're going to bear a son. You and Sarah are going to bear a child. And, through this child will come your descendants. And then as you read on in Genesis, um, you find out who, which son from Isaac is, the promise goes to anyway. So time passes, you know, they get to be 90 some years old and Sarah's going, it's not looking very good, Isaac, it's it's not looking very good that we're going to have this son. So what's going to happen? Um, Sarah decides she's going to bring in her maidservant, and she says to Abraham, you know, I want you to be with her. You marry her, and she can be your wife as well, and she will bear you the child, and that's where the promise will go through. So it happens, and... Which, by the way, you said somebody, I and mean, if you're out there listening, just say, uh oh, because this is not a good thing. Um, 
men, this is probably one time where you wouldn't want to listen to your wife. This is one time where you would want to have selective hearing because it's not it's not good that when God makes a promise, see, when God makes a promise, He makes a promise head on and full on. And He's not a man that He should lie, and He's not the son of man that He should repent or change His mind. So if God says to Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son, then that promise needs to be fulfilled through Abraham and Sarah, not through Abraham and some other woman. Uh, Hagar was the the um, maidservant who came in and Abraham married and had a child with. So Hagar was a descendant of Ham. And so this is something we need to understand. This is this is the why. When God makes a promise, he, he goes full head on. This is So why is it a problem that Abraham marries Hagar and has a son with him and says, okay, Lord, make that promise happen through Ishmael. He's the one and, and it's going to be great. Why is that a problem? Because Hagar is a descendant of Ham. And so now we have a conflict of interest. See, God needs to restore the rightful owner of the land to, you know, to the people it's meant to be. He needs to rest- restore that to its rightful owner. Uh, and then the rightful owner, when they drew lots, was Shem. Shem was supposed to get that land. Abraham is a descendant of Shem. Hagar is not. So now we have a conflict of interest. So now we know the why. So God makes a promise to Abraham and Sarah and says, hey, this is what the promise is to be. And in fact, we can read about it in Genesis 16. So God is speaking to Hagar, and she's out into the wilderness. So, Because Sarah begins to realize after a while that this is not a good thing. Um. Sarah, uh, this, I'm going to back up. This Genesis 16, verse 5. And it says, Sarah, Sarai said to Abram, this is, that was their names before God changed them, may the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. So, and he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they too will be many, too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Now catch this part. Verse 12, He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, have I have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Um, the well means the name of the well means uh, of the living one who sees me. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was eighty six years old when that happened. 
Okay. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be you shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And he goes on and talks about that covenant, and he says, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Okay, so here's the, that's the, God is saying, that's my covenant, and and that's the promise that I have for you. That's the promise that I have for your people. So Abraham, Abraham pleads to God for Ishmael. He says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, no, but Sarah, your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, which is interesting because Jacob, uh, Abram's grandson through Isaac, is the father of twelve princes, twelve people who become the twelve tribes of Israel. He says, um, shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. So now we begin to understand. And so Sarah, she sees this, that there's there's a problem here. And she sees the, the covenant or the promise made about Ishmael. And this word, we're going back to this word, it's zeal in Arabic. So the Arabs and um, those who are in Islam, all that, they are descendants of Ishmael. It says that their hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against them. So what is that word? If you miss Sunday's sermon, uh, that word is Hamas. We know that word very well today because it is the name of a, a terrorist group who are Palestinian, who are a governing body in, in, for Palestinians, by the way, uh, who are causing terror in in not only the land of Israel, but also Gaza itself. So it's causing and creating war, and Israel and and the Palestinians are, are at war with each other. And, I mean, you see the current events, regardless uh, what you think or believe about them right now, I guess maybe that's the question, is what side are you on? Because that word in Arabic means zeal. Hamas in Arabic means zeal. But in Hebrew, it means violence. And so one man's zeal is another man's violence. One man's passion really is another man's possession. Um, So one man's zeal, uh, out of his zeal and out of his passion, has become a violent man, a violent people. They have become a violent people. And, And they will act in their zeal. They will act in violence for their zeal, I should say it that way. And for their passion, they will try to possess. And what I meant by possession, one man's passion is another man's possession, is is a, more of a spiritual possession. Uh, you might call it demonic possession if you want. Um, 
but one man's zeal is another man's violence. And so the question really is, where do you fall? Where do you fall in, in, in this idea of zeal? Does your zeal equate to violence? Does your zeal and your belief equate to violence? Because for these people, their zeal equates to violence. However, you know, there are people out there who have a zeal for the gospel, and for example, and their zeal should not equate to violence. It should equate to the, the gospel, what the gospel is all about, and that foundation is love, right? Uh, first and foremost, that foundation is love, and we could go back and forth on that, but I want, I want to be cautious to say that, that the, uh, if you are a believer, you, in your zeal should be the foundation, the gospel should be at that foundation for your zeal. And so the things that you believe uh, at the at the foundation should be the gospel, and the gospel is not something new to to um, believers. It's not something new to even the Jewish people. It was. I remember earlier on in this, this is like I. It's almost like we separate the Old Testament and the New Testament as if they're two separate stories, but they're actually one story. And so when you bring it all together, the gospel has been at the heart of. From the very beginning, like when Abraham went to um, sacrifice his son Isaac, right? And he's getting ready to sacrifice his son, and then all of a sudden the angel comes and says, no, hold up. Abraham knew that God would provide for himself a lamb. In other words, that was very prophetic, that that God was going to make the ultimate sacrifice one day, and he was going to do it through Jesus, the embodiment of who God is, the image of the invisible God, as Colossians says. It's all one story. So at the heart of your zeal shouldn't be violence. It should be love. Uh, in fact, Jesus says the whole Torah hinges on love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Torah is all about. So what side are you on when it comes to this? What side are you on when it comes to Hamas? Are you on the side of zeal or in the side of violence? And for many, the zeal and the violence are the same thing. I used the analogy Sunday about um, how many of you are an Ohio State. So we're in Ohio. If you're listening to this from somewhere else in the country or in the world, we are from the state of Ohio. And a lot of people in Ohio are Ohio State Buckeye fans. And predominantly, by the way, Ohio State Buckeye football fans. I mean, that's what it centers around, American football. And it, when you're passionate about that football game, it's like it it becomes, you watch it religiously, you know, you, you are intentional about every game that you see, especially when it comes to their biggest rivals, so like Michigan, which, by the way, there are people in, in our state who are Michigan Wolverine fans. And and now when you like we're talking about big rivals and you when you watch the game and you're in one state right you're in Ohio and you have Wolverine fans and Buckeye fans uh, and by the way they could be next door to each other there could be a conflict of interest now that seems like a very bad example but if you're a football fan a diehard football fan you know exactly what it means to be passionate about football whether you know you like the Buckeyes or whether you like the Wolverines. And that passion can lead to some pretty zealous moves on your part. Uh, there's some things that people do that you go, well, that's crazy. Why are they doing that? It's out of their zeal and out of their passion for football, for their team. 
But now you see the conflict of interest with Abraham and Sarah, right? So that word, that zeal, what would it lead to if with Ishmael? It was going to lead to violence. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. With Isaac, with Isaac, through that promise, God retains the land to its rightful owner, who is Shem. And so it's it's retained within the, the confines of God's promises. So when God makes a promise, his promises are yes and amen. And you can always, 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 always count on it, regardless of what it looks like out there, regardless of what's going on, regardless of the trials and the tribulations and all the things that we're going through, that God's promise still stands. And when he makes a promise, it is yes and amen. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not the son of man that he should change his mind. So the first and foremost important thing is to know exactly what God's promise is. All right? Because we can say, you know, and we've gotten into this before. Well, maybe God's promise this is what Sarah did. Well, maybe God's promise just doesn't look exactly like what you thought it would look like. Well, time out. If I know exactly what God's promise is, and I'm seeking him to find that promise, then I can know kind of what it looks like. It might not happen in the time frame that I thought would happen, or it might not come together the way that I thought it would come together. But like when God said, I'm going to provide a son for you and Sarah, that covenant will happen. That's that's my promise. That promise will come to fruition. Then that promise will come to fruition. It's not, well, you know, maybe he meant that you were going to have a son with a woman, and maybe what we ought to do is have this woman over here bear you a son. No, it wasn't like that at all. In fact, after it happened, uh, Sarah realized what was what was going on, and she realized the spirit that she brought into this, and that was the spirit of Hamas. Now, again, it's interesting because the Bible says that when when Hamas covered the whole earth, when violence covered the whole earth, that is when God passed the judgment, and Jesus said it will be like the days of Noah. So. It's interesting that what is happening now, and by the way, uh, if you're not fully understanding what God's promises, you could easily align with Hamas, the Hamas that we know today. And if that's if that's the case, then Hamas will have covered the whole earth. In fact, we're seeing it now. You go to um, New York and some of these other places that have Jewish synagogues, and they are there are violent protestings going on with those people. People are fearful. Christians are fearful these days, even Christians who stand for Israel are fearful these days. Why? Because there's violent protests going on. In their zeal, there's violence. It's not a good sign. And as violence covers the whole earth, be prepared to understand that God looks down and he's going to see that. And if he did it before, when violence covered the whole earth, if he did it before, past the judgment, it's coming again. And we can read about it, like it's coming again. So the question is, what side do you fall on? And if you need proof, you know, like you would say, well, as a believer, you know, you have the Bible, but can the Bible be proven? Well, there are things in the Bible that have come to pass. There are prophecies in the Bible, words that God has given his people that have come to pass. And we could talk, uh, there could be a whole another 45 minutes that we could talk about on this. Um, 
and, and talk about what all God has fulfilled as far as, as things go, things that we could see even in current events, current times that have been fulfilled, that have been written about in the Bible. And I believe that that's, where, that's why we're seeing things happen the way that they are now, is because God is revealing that He is a promise keeper. He made a promise, and though it seemed like it took many, 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 many years, He still come through with his promises because his timing is perfect. And and when we realize that God knows exactly what he's doing, he's not tarrying, he's not being, you know, just kind of lollygagging around. He's really intentional about everything that's happening, everything that's going on. He's intentional about it. And he's going to bring that promise to pass. When that happens, then, um, you know, we can see that coming to fruition. So even in current times, there's a reason why some of his promises have not come to pass until current times. And it is because he has something that he needs to reveal. And that is that he is the one true God. So as you're seeing these promises unfold from God, it might hurt to see them because it brings about war or it brings about um, dissension. Because from the very beginning, the devil's goal, the devil's game plan, we want to talk about the original why here, the devil's game plan was to separate God from his people. That was it. When, when God created the heavens and the earth, and he put man in this garden, this garden of perfection, the goal of Satan was to come in and to separate man from God and to separate that relationship between man and God because that relationship and that covenant between man and God is powerful. It is powerful, and it is against Satan. And when, that, when, when somebody gets so jealous that they come in and they separate things that should not be separated. When somebody tries to break the promises of God, that is when bad things happen. And God is so zealous for his people. He is so intentional about his people. And he is a God who wants you to know that you can trust in him. He has a promise that he made, and he made him way long time ago. And that he has a promise that he is going to fulfill and he is going to reveal that he is the one true God. His love is faithful. His love endures forever. His promises never fail. His promises, according to Corinthians, are yes and amen. Trust in it. He is the God who, his, he never fails. He never fails. And he won't fail you and he won't fail me. So what side are you on? I leave you with this one little illustration. Um, King Frederick the Great of Prussia went to his doctor, his physician, one day, and <clears throat> you know, probably during a routine checkup, or I don't know, asks his physician. He says, "You know, because physicians and I mean, we're talking about Greek philosophy and all that. Those came from you know, philosophers, physicians, people who studied." Um, the inner workings of humanity, the inner workings of the earth, you know, all of that stuff. And so the king asks his physician, he goes, so what's the existence of God? What, what's the proof, rather, of the existence of God? And the only statement, I mean, you could go into this long statement as to why God existed, but the only statement that he responded with was the Jews, the existence of the Jewish people. And when you think about it, he's right. <clears throat> you don't see Hittites roaming New York City, right? You don't see Sumerians roaming around. You don't see um, 
Mesopotamians, you know, whatever it is. You don't see those people anymore roaming around. They and their gods have disappeared. Why? Because there's only one true God, and he's brought his people, his promised people, through the ages. And even when it seems like they were going to be annihilated, even when it seems like they were being scattered and they wouldn't, they wouldn't, um, they wouldn't last any longer, that's when God pulled through and he brought them back. He always saves a remnant for his, for his promises to stand true, for his promises to be um, assured that they are yes and amen. So take that with you and understand that, that God is, is truthful, he is faithful, and, and his love endures forever, and his word endures forever. It shall not come back to him void. So when a word goes out, it will not come back to him void. Take that with you and understand that um, even for your own life, he's got promises. I would just, if you're out there even questioning and wondering, is this God real? Is, is he for real? Um, do a little research on him. In fact, pray and ask him. And I believe with all my heart he's going to reveal stuff to you. That if you're really intentional about him revealing himself to you, if you really want to know, he will. He will reveal himself. Might not be right away. Might take some time. But keep your eyes and your ears open because he will allow things to happen that will show you that he is God. He is real and his word is real and it endures forever. All right. I love you. And I hope that you have enjoyed this message, and I pray that I would see you one Sunday morning at 9.30. If you can't make it, we do Facebook Live and YouTube Live. And um, if you can't make those, you can always go back and check them. The, the recordings stay on there. Or you can keep hanging out with me here on A Step Further. And But I really would love to see you some Sunday morning. Uh, would love to hear your feedback if you wanted um I would ask that you know if you're if you have a podcast app and that you're listening through whether it's Apple or um, Amazon or whatever if if I don't know how I know Apple does a rating system if you would rate it make a review a comment on, on a review for it um, that would be amazing I would just love to get this podcast out even further for people to hear and get the message out. Um, but if you truly believe in that message that I'm, I'm giving you, if you truly believe in, in at least the heart that is behind it, and so my heart, if you believe in that, um, I just pray that you would support it in some way uh, by liking or um, you know, rating it or giving it a review. However, um, anyway, I love you and I hope to see you soon. And until then, I pray that you have a blessed week.